0: The crisis in Ukraine has affected business aviation operations and what may still be to come. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. The conflict stemming from Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th shows no signs of easing soon. And while its effects on business aviation obviously are secondary to the situation on the ground for those directly impacted by the fighting, the crisis has nevertheless touched our industry in many ways. To discuss these effects, I'm joined today by Pavel Laban, Jeppesen International Trip Support Team Lead for AEG Flight Support Services, who's based in Gdansk, Poland. Also with me is Steve Thorpe, Director of Standards and Training and a Senior Captain at Merck. Steve, I'll begin with you. How has the Ukraine crisis affected business aviation operations across Eastern Europe and in the Asia-Pacific region, and how are operators responding to these changes?
1: Well, the obvious answer is that Ukraine airspace is closed to many operators, US, uh, European operators. The Russian airspace has become closed. So, in the Europe frame of operations over Ukraine, there's the danger of being misidentified and shot down. Plus, the US has prohibited uh, US operators from operating into the Ukraine, uh, any of the Ukraine FIRs, for good reason. And that's the danger uh, to life and limb. The other is uh, danger of coming afoul of the authorities where you're in airspace that you're not allowed to be. So obviously, it's really affected the Europe to Asia routes. So if you're a European business jet operator and you want to get to Japan, the route has become much more circuitous. Kind of back to the days of the Soviet Union with the Cold War with Western operators really not utilizing Russian airspace. So the one is obvious. You want to stay away from Ukraine, uh, FIR, because of the danger of being shot down. And then there's the airspace restrictions, which could be different depending on who you're carrying, what your state of registration is. It could be the result of many variables. Uh, Those are the ones that are changing. I mean, the ones that are uh, really to life and limb, that's pretty obvious. Since February 24th, that's really been obvious, and it's a big hole in civil aviation where People just don't fly. The other is an evolving situation.
0: Pavel, how have you seen operators responding to this situation?
2: Luckily, the worldwide operations are still running. Um, On the initial stage, We have seen an increased number of questions, inquiries, and uh, reroute requests um, for trips we've had in the books for a while, and which were planned with Russia overflies. Just like Steve mentioned, there are certain routes that were much more simple and much shorter with Russian and or uh, Belarusian airspace available. But on the other hand, there is always alternatives and options to avoid it. There is definitely an increase in the cargo, military cargo and government segment all the way along the NATO eastern border and there is currently over one and a half million refugees uh, who have already crossed Polish-Ukrainian border and so there is an increased interest in uh, supply of the humanitarian aid as well. I know that Poland and Romania are also uh, both the main destinations um, for most of the foreigners which were staying in Ukraine and now their evacuation efforts continue. So I know there was a large number of students from like India and many more Asian countries studying in Ukraine. So, So they are all currently heading to Poland or Romania and uh, getting evacuated from there. So also the military activity there makes possible delays, which we can expect, you know, on a very fluid basis.
0: So is it accurate to say that most business aviation operations remain possible as long as you aren't operating to any restricted areas and can fly the required diversions around closed airspace?
2: Well, yes. Although uh, there is many restrictions where the wording uh, involves something like whether the flight is either chartered, controlled, or owned by the Russian operators or people connected with Russia. So, in certain part of the world, um, you you need to make sure that uh, you know the, the packs are not connected um, in any way uh, or, you know, then the financial side is a separate thing where you need to make sure that that there is no money transfer to any sanctioned uh, entities or from any sanctioned
1: entities. Rob, also, uh, if I may, the, the operation in the Pacific, though there aren't many Russian destinations that you're probably planning on going to in the Pacific, the alternate situation and your planning for diversion alternates really has changed drastically. The The folks that even are on the no-pack routes that are avoiding any of the Russian FIRs still often use either Petropovlovsk or Magadan for divert alternates. And that probably is not a good idea these days for Western operator to plan on using those in an emergency. You're supposed to be given all help to land uh, to take care of the emergency. But I don't know that as a US operator right now, I'd be wanting to land in Russia because I'm not sure how I'd be received as far as leaving the aircraft there. So what it's done is brought in more of the, shall we say, esoteric alternates such as uh, along the Aleutian Island chain, there are several airports that uh, are, some are joint use, military and civilian, that can be used for alternates, but the weather is not always cooperating. So, for different operators, depending on the regulations they're flying under, if ETOPS supplies or maybe they have a, a self imposed limit for how far they'll, they're willing to go between alternates, the lack of Russian airports, even though you're not going to be in Russian airspace, it really has been... Uh, something that operators need to think about and, and are thinking about.
0: More of our discussion in just a moment after this message from NBAA.
1: NBAA Flight Plan listeners, your podcast is ready everywhere. You can download it from iTunes, ask your smart speaker to give you a listen, or hear it in any car with Apple's CarPlay. NBAA Flight Plan, available anytime, anywhere.
0: We're back now with Pavel Laban and Steve Thorpe and our conversation about the impact to business aviation operations from the Ukraine crisis. Steve, what are some resources available in our industry or from government or state entities to assist operators in navigating the current environment?
1: Well, as Pavel mentioned, some of this is a moving target. And so really entities like Pavel's, uh, your international trip service provider, are kind of the first stop for me as an operator. I'm going to call them and I'm saying, I'm going to have this trip. And can I do this with the current restrictions? They have a lot of resources at their fingertips that they can use. The second place that I might go to is someplace like Ops Group. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with Ops Group. It's been pretty much their mission to provide resources to operators for safe airspace. How can I get there safely? How can I get there within my risk tolerance limit. And then finally, I think there are some governmental agencies that can help. I know when I go someplace that's maybe off the beaten track, I I go to the State Department to the STEP program, and I register with STEP, the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program, step.state.gov. If I'm going to some of the, the less traveled areas of the world, I'll use STEP. And then once you register for STEP, You get any kind of State Department flashes or or news uh, items or warnings for that area. And then you can register each trip. You register a trip, say, I'm going to Calcutta, India. I'm going to be staying at this hotel for these days. That enables the State Department and the counselor folks to maybe have you on a list in case something happens and, and they need to find U.S. citizens. Pavel? I
2: agree that the first and very good source of information is the Ops Group blog, which is run by the active pilots, dispatchers and people uh, of aviation sector, which gather all the operational items and then sometimes even discuss that during their like webinars or other activities. But I would like to name one of their tools, which is a single source for all the risk warnings issued about, like, individual countries and war zone regions, which is the safeairspace.net. It's a free and independent of, like, Any political or commercial motivation. So, um, other people of the aviation sector or anyone responsible for for flight safety can quickly and easily see the current risk picture in uh, regions they might simply not be familiar with. So, there is always a source of information associated, and that's the case for the Ukraine, but with all other, you know, burning points um, regions uh, where you can find the source for, like, either the FAA, no publications are restricting operators to operate in certain areas, but also other the European Union members, uh, countries publishing any relevant information and all other CAAs or uh, authorities um, you need to consider. So that's a very good source. I personally always try to double check, um, you know, whether the certain uh, documents are still available and still valid. So I, I, I kind of double check all that uh, information myself in our systems. But I think it's a, it's very good um, for the risk analysis. When we are talking specifically about the Ukraine situation, there is also many European based uh, resources like uh, Eurocontrol, Network Manager Operations. Center website. The address is public.nm as November mike.eurocontrol.int when you scroll to the middle of the section, there is the public access, which is available to, to all people for free. And there is lots of resources, but one of them is the section of Newswork headline news, where you will find information and notums related to the Ukrainian situation published by all the countries within the Eurocontrol zone. On the daily basis, it also gives an operational insights in the CFIU situations, like if there is any delays or uh, you know the the reroutes um, affecting any the sectors, you you would be able to see it there as well. There is also another source from the European Union Aviation Safety Agency, so EASA. The website is easa.europa.eu. And there is a a conflict zone information bulletin published with respect to Ukraine, which lists all the active documents from, from the EU authorities.
0: Let's turn to perhaps a broader picture of the state of our industry at the moment, Pavel. How have you seen your clients respond to this crisis? Have there been any reductions in business aviation flight operations?
2: With the Ukraine FIR closed, there is obviously not too, ma- not too many flights in, in that region, as we've already uh, mentioned earlier. But with the limitations for the destination uh, destinations in Russia and uh, the Russia overflies, there certainly is a slightly reduced number of flights because there is many other considerations we need to take care of like you know the aircraft range, airports, uh, suitability and availability along the route and this is all going to be a bit of a problem with certain routes. I believe personally that the aviation as a whole changed on the 24th of February, actually. And it all affects both the business aviation and airlines about the same uh, degree. Uh, Many operators can't fly over Russia uh, due to sanctions and possibly like security, risk, uncertainty and uh, solidarity reasons sometimes even. So the business in Russia is being pretty much isolated more and more every day that's for the theory and the practical side is that there is a lot of reroutes we need to take under consideration. It's like if the operator is affected by either restrictions from Russia or you know the their own caas and they need to consider reroutes for like Europe, uh, Middle East or Asia and India uh, routes so there is a, a few channels which are Routing every day nowadays, like via Turkey and um, Iraq, Iran, if you are okay to do it uh, via these countries, which are you know on a um, separate side of of the risk area, right? And also some people via Turkey and Armenian, Azerbaijan, and then going to uh, possibly China. Some people I've I've seen routing that way via Sinai and then Egypt, Saudi, uh, via Oman. Um, so that there is options to mitigate that risk. Like Steve mentioned, the the, uh, Alaska, Asia routes, uh, there is very limited and alternate airport options. Uh, And I know there is uh, Japanese airlines, uh, which are now forced to route via Europe, Iceland and Canada on their US flights. Uh, So there is always a way around anything but the further away from the Great Silk route we get the longer the route gets right so it is all down to the cost and the flight time increase which many times the flight time is even more critical part in the business aviation. Uh, It's also worth to mention about the fuel prices and uncertain future uh, around it also more Complex routes mean longer permit lists required. Uh, with that said, a significant increase in the number of uh, flights in, in these regions like Middle East could possibly result in longer permit application processing times or even ATC capacity issues and all the safety risks that
0: might trigger long term. Steve, it sounds like no matter the current situation, we may be just beginning to feel the effects going forward
1: yeah we and as business aviation operators, we kind of have different pressures than the airlines do. the The airlines, if they have to add two hours to each of their flights, let's say they have five Asian flights from Europe to Asia a day or maybe ten, and that's every day. So that's possibly three hundred and sixty five days a year, that cost really adds up. Whereas a business air, aviation operator, it might be a maybe a once-every-couple-months operation that they're going to go to Asia, where for them, it's more of a, okay, do I have the airplane that has the range that can cover these distances with limited in-route alternates? Because the the cost difference, while not insubstantial, really on a per-trip basis might not be as big of impact to that operator. I'll give you an example. I just got back from a trip to Singapore and India that started on the 20th of February in Anchorage going to Singapore. And we decided that the risk for going over Russia on that date was acceptable. And it did save us about 15 or 20 minutes on that route to Singapore. And again, I'm lucky enough to, to fly the G650 that has that range. And then on the way back, coming from Calcutta to Anchorage, even if it had not saved us time, we would have decided to go over China, uh, southern Japan, up over the northern Pacific routes, because we we felt that it was not prudent to, to go over Russia. It happened to save us about 15 minutes because of tailwinds there. But it also saved us about $3,000 in overflight fees for not going over Russia and going over the northern Pacific, because Japan's overflight fees are much cheaper than, than Russia's. So We have different considerations in the uh, general aviation than the airlines have. For us, it's more of, do I have the aircraft that has the range to safely do this overwater leg with uh, an acceptable level of risk as far as uh, divert alternates goes? Steve,
0: as we're talking today, this crisis shows no signs of easing. What might the worst-case scenario be for our industry if the conflict goes on throughout the remainder of the year?
1: Well, let me just say right up front, Rob, that that any impact that I see with business aviation pales in comparison to impact to the, the human toll on the ground. So I think, I mean, all of our companies are, are really focused toward helping, you know, Merck has uh, employees in the Ukraine and in Russia, and lots of companies do. So that's kind of foremost on our mind. And, and I think that from a business aviation perspective, when you talk about worst case scenario, we're at a, a point now where I don't see the airspace restrictions getting worse. It's just going to be the cost to the economy. And will that take time to sort itself out? We've already seen a spike in oil prices. We've seen a spike in um, in gasoline and the, and the associated products from that oil. And so that's going to be a, a cost increase that Some will be able to absorb, some may not be able to absorb. I think the commercial operators, it may affect more. Um, Can they pass those costs on to their customers? Um, We've seen a tremendous uptick during the pandemic in charter operations. It's kind of an, an ironic byproduct that private aviation and charter operations have really kind of increased, especially domestically. But could some of that be tamped down by the economic situation? Sure. And a world recession would not be good for anybody. So I think realistically, the limits on aviation are such that uh, uh, business aviation have already kind of been, been put in, into, into play. And I think most operators are already planning for higher fuel costs. Or if they haven't, they, they should be. So I think from a worst case scenario, I think just the whole economic situation and could that cause less business aviation activity? Sure, it could. But for now, I think the fact that most operators and companies consider their business aviation operations to be probably the safest and most secure form of transportation is in our favor. But it's, uh, a, a war is, is not good for anybody, obviously.
0: Pavel, what do you see for our industry in the months ahead?
1: I
2: agree that further increase of the operational costs, um, like fuel services, among others, and it's driven by the rising inflation, it will all remain as a huge headache, especially when we realize that we have barely started thinking about timeline from COVID recovery, right? I'm going to flip that question a bit. So I'll say that we need to focus on Proper identification and addressing of the safety concerns and risks should always remain the top priority. And uh, the the most important bit is that the current challenges uh, leave even Less room for planning errors, so I, I would strongly recommend finding experienced service providers who will be able to help focus on the main job, to like you know fly and get your packs or cargo safely uh, to desired destination. We need to focus on the risk analysis, and we need to make sure as planners and dispatchers and 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 crews and operators, we need to make sure that we are up to
1: date with all the information. I'm going to echo what Powell said as far as your pl- the importance of planning, but I, I would implore from an operational point of view, don't take your eye off the ball, safety and planning wise, in areas that not related to the Ukraine crisis. Now, we, we had this kind of come up with COVID, where you know, we're so worried about the COVID restrictions that maybe we pay a little less attention to some other things that we normally would normally would pay attention from a planning point of view. And I'll give a few examples. ETPs or equal time point calculations are becoming more and more important. I would say really get to know what goes into planning those equal time points because we've kind of taken for granted before when we have plenty of options within range, but now just because something uh, on the flight plan says, oh, you can do a uh, flight down the northern Pacific routes using Sapporo and Anchorage as your ETPs. But when you look at it, you're talking in a single engine or an engine failure scenario, you might be talking on almost five hours on single engine. Is that something you really wanted to be doing? Uh, you're landing with maybe less fuel than you're comfortable with. So get into those ETPs and, and really get to know what your risk tolerance is. And then also, you could be, with these reroutes, be flying over some unfamiliar terrain. Those of us who have been going from Europe to Asia, we go over Siberia, so we worry about the cold in the winter. But now, with these new routes going over deserts, going over some very high terrain, I'll tell you, when when I took a look at uh, this new route that goes over Azerbaijan, and Turkey, Azerbaijan, and then kind of goes over what is called the Hindu Kush, the little area of Afghanistan, Pakistan, and the minimum in route altitudes on that little route are in the 26,000 foot range. So, planning ahead for a Part 91 operator in the U.S. or a a non-commercial operator elsewhere in the world, your state regulatory agency may not regulate you on those routes, but it's really something we really need to pay attention for um, on these routes that we're not used to flying. So, Really get into that flight planning. Make sure that your safety tolerance matches your risk tolerance for, for you and your operation.
2: Yeah, and if I may, I'd like to add also one more area, which now I guess there is some operators who are trying to avoid Russian going over polar routes as well. This area is also a bit unique with, you know, some magnetic influence on the instrumentations possibly. So there is this specific uh, procedures we need to normally uh, commercial operators uh, need to follow. And then on the other hand, if you are not legally Obliged to follow these regulations doesn't mean it's not smart to follow them. I would recommend to talk with someone who probably might have done something like that in the past or, you know, reach out to some
0: providers for information on that subject. That's always, you know, smart to ask questions. To recap a few of the resources mentioned in this discussion, those include the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program at step.state.gov. Ops Group Safe Airspace Initiative at safeairspace.net, the Eurocontrol Network Manager Operations Center at www.public.nm.eurocontrol.int, and the EASA Conflict Zone Bulletin, available at www.easa.europa.eu. And for more information about international business aviation operations around the globe, I also encourage you to visit nbaa.org I-N-T-L. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock, Thanks for listening and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan.